Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Welcome to another edition of On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'm, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Tim Hudson. He's the Chief Learning Officer at Dreambox Learning, which uh, many of you know. And I've had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Jesse Woolley Wilson in the past. And so I kind of want to dive deeper into Dreambox. Uh, Tim, thank you for joining me today. Look, I, I'm uniquely interested in you and your perspective as Chief Learning Officer of one of the, uh, I mean, I'm going to, the word that came to my mind was ascending companies in education and ed tech. Uh, but I think you've already reached as a company some pretty incredible um, markers here in, in the sector with your growth. Um, let's talk about your journey, though, because I, I, I was interested to chat with you because of your background as an educator in you know being someone who is helping to co-author what we would call the next uh, in this space. So let's talk a little bit about the origins of you and your professional career and then how that aligns uh, with your current role at Dreambox. Sure. Uh, thanks, Rod. It's uh, it's great to be here talking with you. And my my journey uh, working for an education technology company, I, I'm a little surprised from time to time that this is kind of where <laughs> I landed, given that when I started my career, first day teaching high school math, I legitimately thought that's where I would end my career as well, because some of my favorite humans on the planet were teachers who'd been career educators. Uh, and, you know, uh, that's kind of where I thought I would land, but, you know, got into it for a couple of years, became uh, interested in leadership in schools, recognizing there were opportunities there to, to make improvements from an administrative role. And uh, after, <laughs> after failing to get a lot of assistant principal jobs, I found a really sweet spot job as a, a K-12 math director for, interestingly enough, the school district where I had gone as a student. Really? Yeah, my... My third grade math teacher was still teaching third grade math when I became the, the math director and uh, high school principal was still the high school principal. So that added an interesting dimension in terms of, you know, uh, affecting change, working together and uh, uh, building curricula and um, experiences for great experiences for students in math. So um, it was at that point when we um, when I learned about Dreambox, Dreambox first launched, as you probably know, in 2009, having started in 2006, but, you know, incubating the first product, which was a K2 math product, which I tried out on my own son, who was five years old at the time, because uh, I wasn't going to take anything to the school that I hadn't seen in action myself. Uh, I was living in Missouri, St. Louis, uh, St. Louis, Missouri. You may know Missouri is known as the show me state. So I wanted, yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> I wanted to see the proof. So I sat with my son as he used Dreambox for about, uh, I mean, it was like the first, gosh, 60 hours or so every other day for 30, 45 minutes. And having seen the impact it had on his ability to think about mathematics as just, you know, a five-year-old, um, we brought it to our intervention program at my district. And then eventually we're, one of Dreambox's earliest district-wide customers with a full K-2 uh, adoption, which is not really common. Elementary schools typically like to do a whole K-5 thing, but I, as an early, uh, early adopter, got to know Jesse, who you, know, you mentioned before, our CEO, uh, and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> 
<laughs> a little Seinfeld reference never <laughs> right. hurts. <laughs> right, never hurts. Uh, moved my family from St. Louis to Seattle back in 2011, where I've just been thrilled to work with her and uh, all the great people at Dreambox as we've expanded not only into K-8 mathematics, but uh, also now have some literacy solutions as well that are uh, the best out there. So let's talk. I'm so interested in in your journey in this one little window of time that you you sort of briefly rolled over, which was your your failed attempt at assistant principalships. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, talk a little bit about because I think it's fascinating. We think about education currently, right? And there's there's a lot in flux. Uh, we are sort of on the precipice of potentially a talent shortage that a lot of districts across the country are very nervous about, and I think rightly so. Uh, we've got the great resignation. So you're just seeing a generation saying, you know, I think I'm going to think twice maybe about what I want to do and how I want to apply my skills and where maybe I can sort of glean the, the most benefit for my own professional growth and development. Let's take sort of your experience and think about the talents that a teacher already has sort of in their, their toolkit. When mm -hmm. we think about, let's, let's take the optimistic side of this, which is maybe there's an incredible amount of talent that could be now into the the innovation side of education, right? And I think that's one area where we we sort of miss the mark, right? It's the the what we tell kids who think about being a teacher is, look, you have a thirty year contract with with, with not exactly the upward mobility that you might desire or that yeah. you might see in other industries. And so I'm you know I'm humored and enthused that there are those thinking about different on roads and off roads for professionals who'd like to be in teaching. And I think there's so many ways to impact it. I mean, you are a classic example. I mean, you're chief learning officer of one of the leading companies in education. So you're still in education. You're just providing yeah. your skills in different areas. How should we take what you experienced back then to think about the talent that is sitting right in front of us in ways in which we can innovate, add to the talent that we've got on the sort of the, the vendor or the provider side? Certainly, it's historically been the case that a teacher, kind of as you alluded to, on the first day of their first day of teaching, that is kind of the terminal position. Like it, it, there's <laughs> for teaching. You've made it. Right. <laughs> and I want to separate two, two separate out two different things that you kind of mentioned. One, uh, how do we make teaching a more attractive kind of profession? Uh, and then two, second, I want to talk about the innovation piece. So I had done my, my doctoral research on why new teachers experience attrition and job dissatisfaction. And there's at the time, there was not a whole lot of research out there because unfortunately, I don't think we focus enough on that. Uh, we maybe take it as a given. Education is hard. Teaching is difficult. And our institutions need to be making the right kinds of investments. I, I say our institutions, our uh, our country needs to, you know, commit to this public good. And part of the public good of, of education is making teaching a profession where we uh, uh, people want to take on that profession, much like I did. Um, and we haven't we haven't really done that enough. And teachers were praised at the start of the pandemic because we, were, when forced remote schooling helped all, all parents and caregivers everywhere realize how hard the work is. Uh, but we, we haven't really stuck with that. And that's something we care about deeply at Dreambox is making sure teachers are empowered that, and this gets to the second piece, um, that you mentioned the innovation. We know teachers and schools are doing innovative things within their districts all the time. And our job is to um, help innovate in ways that align with their innovations. For example, if schools are interested in um, 
you know, trying out new models of summer school with blended learning, which most are these days, we, you know, want to make sure we can make those six weeks of summer school most impactful with our solutions. But it's not just about our solutions. It's about setting up the right learning experiences for students. And there's some, some neat innovations happening uh, in other districts. I, I can give you some examples, but you, you let me know you, where you want to go next. No, I mean, I think it speaks to, I mean, what I was thinking when you were talking about it is there is this part where, I mean, if a young person, right, you were talking about your your son, right, at five and the, mm-hmm. watching sort of the first 60 hours of engagement around Dreambox, yeah. uh, even if it's not Dreambox, but just sort of witnessing and seeing the way in which they engage, that really is sort of their first exposure to a very powerful sector of education that, I mean, not that it's about marketing the opportunity, but it is, it is nice to see the technology offerings align with what young people are experiencing in their own personal lives and at home with their friends and their communities, because I think it makes it much more real world that they could apply those skills when they think about careers to being someone who maybe works at Dreambox or any other company that's providing products and services to the industry. And so that can help sort of the ecosystem. Uh, let's talk about that ecosystem. So what what ex- both excites you, Tim, and what also gives you cause for pause when you think sort of industry-wide at the different mechanisms at play when we think about innovation, we think about budgets, the way in which schools are trying to, I think, recalibrate this new, uh, you know, what, I don't know if it's a new normal, or it's just sort of the new track that we're on, um, you know, uh, with this fluid nature of what a I don't want to jinx it, but the post-COVID school world looks like. But what sort of what is encouraging to you and what what is is cause for you to kind of sit up and say, we still need to be really mindful of of these different areas or or variables that could be impacting us? Sure. Uh what what kind of excites me is uh I I think people are coming to realize that there are different ways to do some of the things that they've always wanted to do. Um, so for example, we know a lot of times uh, assessing students takes the form of tests that have, you know, pretty strict schedules and you got to kind of rearrange the school calendar for the next three weeks while you do these things. Uh, there's a place for those kinds of assessments, but at the same time, solutions like, like Dreamboxes can provide more frequent data. It's going to be collected in a different way. It's going to provide a new lens that you can triangulate with, but rethinking those habits, given how valuable time is in school, uh, we've seen a, a, a lot of that, like focusing on, okay, do we really want to, what do we really want? We want insights about where students are going to end up uh, by the end of the school year, that trajectory data. So that's something that in the past two years uh, for our Dreambox math product, we've provided. But getting into that aspiration, is it like, what do I need to know right now about my students? Who needs help? How can I help them? focus on those areas. So we've we've invested a lot in meeting that need. And what encourages me to your question is that that rethinking, that openness to um, really, uh, you know, before the pandemic, we would have to convince some schools, you know what, technology really can't help you. At this point, everyone <laughs> has some math solutions, has some reading solutions. So that conversation is behind us, which uh, is pretty exciting because now we can talk about the most important piece of personalization, which is the, the pedagogical aspect of it. Personalized learning isn't really about, uh, part of it, uh, it's two pieces. One is, what are you ready to learn? But the second part is the pedagogical piece. What do you think about it? And we're seeing more and more real, realization that 
the classroom learning experiences, the pedagogy, how we engage students' brilliance, that's really making the difference for uh, whether it's with class in classrooms or, or with technology. Um, so we'll refocus on the pedagogy and rethinking um, what's possible. That's kind of the first, first question um, you would ask. What gives me pause is the uh, teacher attrition, as you mentioned earlier, we know teacher shortages today, our principal shortages tomorrow. And uh, that apart from that concern of making sure we have stronger schools moving forward where students want to, you know, young people want to become a teacher. I'm side note, my five-year-old back in the day, he's now a junior in high school and he's wanting to be a high school English teacher, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like it definitely <laughs> suits him well. I don't know if he's an outlier or a trend or whatever, but um, young people, of course, by definition are the hope for the future. But um, so apart from that, uh, I still very concerned. I'm very concerned about how segregated uh, our schools remain racially, and the issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, that uh, and justice that we still, you know, we're still reckoning with, and have not yet really fully realized what Brown versus Board of Education was supposed to achieve. So inequity um, and uh, and the the teacher shortage are the two things that that give me pause. Very well put. Um, let's talk or pivot a little bit. Maybe it actually aligns with what you just kind of mentioned, but let's talk about the role or our understanding of data. I think what's fascinating with innovation is that, and maybe the pandemic helped this in some uh, respects because parents, community members, caretakers had to start to engage with what their children were doing in schools in a very different and much deeper way. It wasn't to say that we weren't engaged prior to, you know, <laughs> there was just a different level of, of it, the rules of the game maybe were a little bit different. Uh, and I think data played a role in that because there was this sort of unknown. It was a little bit like the tax code. It was like, we don't really know what you're doing there, Johnny, but we're assuming we're trusting that everything's okay. It feels like we have been forced for the better to have a different and more engaging relationship with our understanding of data and its impact on education, on personalization, on the types of conversations we can have with our children's teachers, mm -hmm. with our co-teacher, you know, our, our colleagues and our administration. How has sort of data, if we think of data almost like a person, how has data changed when you think about the arc back when you were a teacher to now? Yeah. The, I don't think the arc has, uh, has innovated enough on that end. That's been one of the uh, key key things we've been doing at Dreambox is providing, uh, not to sound too commercial, but just this is where we come from. We listen to customers, we listen to educators, uh, administrators, and teachers to say, okay, what what are you looking for? And uh, sometimes they're looking for just like a number, and that's a complicated thing to distill a student's. <laughs> <laughs> all of their mathematical knowledge down to like a single number. Um, that number ends up being kind of like a, I think a security blanket of sorts. We're kind of used to it, right? SATs, right. ACTs. We can lean into that. Right. All it sort of does though is beg more questions. Okay. What, is that, what does that number mean? So we, we kind of skip to the chase, cut to the chase um, with our data reports just to say, here's, you know, what a, a student understands and, we launched during the pandemic when all of the state tests were canceled. We had been working on this predictive insights functionality, which we decided to accelerate the launch of it because tests were canceled. So at least we could provide administrators with some sense of where 
students would have been had they been able to take the test. So it was kind of a first new iteration into um, for our company into uh, sort of this arc of where data are going. Let's not going to give you a number. We'll just tell you <laughs> if they're on track or not. Um, our Reading Plus solution has one of the, um, again, I don't want to talk too much about just the product, is that, but to your question about data and insights, um, one of the things we found highly valuable about the product is it makes the distinction between who can read fluently and who really understands what they're reading. There's those two dimensions. Uh, I don't know about you. I, I took Latin and Greek when I was a student. I could probably pick up something in, written in Spanish and decode it. I could like, I could never it. find those classrooms on my schedule. I just could <laughs> no. not on campus. I struggle. <laughs> they were, that's where all the cool kids were. Right. And uh, so like I could decode other languages, but I have no idea what the words mean. Right. And to be able to tell teachers, okay, this student is a really fluent reader. They're reading quickly. They understand the decoding. They're having a hard time comprehending though. That's very different than a student who might be answering all the reading comprehension questions correctly, say like on the ACT, right? But it's hard work for them to read, right? Like the, the fluency and the decoding is belabored. So I think the, the sort of arc of, of data is, is moving is richer insights about how students are, are thinking in the moment. And that keyword is thinking. You don't glean a lot of information about what a student was thinking from some of the more, um, I'll call them analog assessment formats for lack of a better term. Let, let's close with this, Tim. Uh, given your role as chief learning officer, what sets of responsibility when you close down at the end of a day, do you have when thinking about the push-pull of innovation, like, you know, sort of, you know, how much are we ready for? When do we need to be a little bit more aggressive? Because we do feel pretty confident about where the market is going and the needs of young people and teachers. Talk a little bit about just that sense of responsibility that you may or may not feel. We start at Dreambox from a point of view that students are brilliant and our job is to empower and, and build on that brilliance. And that's been a very good um, guide for us as we've as we've built out solutions and, and added others to it. Um, and a second piece is we we do trust and want to empower educators as well. And so the, to the extent that students are actually showing demonstrable growth, which we uh, actually just have a new study out showing in eight weeks during the pandemic, students grew at least five percentile points, whether they were in the lowest 20th percentile or the top, no matter what, were effective for students. That's key. What's also key and um, is making sure that teachers feel that we're helping them do their job better. That's that weighs heavily on us uh, and administrators too. That's kind of when I when I first adopted Dreambox as a client, as an early client back in 2010. Dreambox didn't have a big PD operation, professional development like we have now. So it was me as the math coordinator going school to school, sitting down and having those conversations with teachers. At Dreambox, we know that proximity is the way to expand our perspective and become empathetic with educators. And I've been there as a, as a teacher and as an administrator. So that weighs heavily on me to make sure that we're not solving problems they don't have or, or creating problems that they, that they didn't want. Uh, really about simplifying things and impacting students. Well, I think you bring a uh, the human side of of what being an educator really is writ large. I mean, it's you, you know you were you, 
in my estimation, you remain an educator and that's, that, that's a high compliment because it's, it's not that it's, you may be on sort of the business side of it, but we've got to be empowered by those that have a, a deep understanding of the relationships, the importance of those relationships and the inner workings of schools. So uh, obviously I, I think I'm a big fan of Dreambox. I, I think what, what you are doing and what Jesse is doing in the entire team is, uh, is transformational for so many. So keep up the great work. It was a pleasure to spend some time with you. And I encourage people to check out Dreambox Learning. We want to thank Dr. Tim Hudson, the Chief Learning Officer at Dreambox. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.